Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, Sports to the Max. News Talk 830 WCCO. Joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. The one and only P.J. Hill, who is uh, getting the best tickets in town these days, man. You, you've been watching everything in the front row, P.J. The Final Four, the Timberwolves. <laughs> man, I've been I've been blessed, Mike. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Good. Sir. How are you doing? Oh, awesome, 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 awesome. Yeah, what'd you think of the Wolves last night? You know what, man? I was a little disappointed. You know, being that we're so close to get that sixth spot, I, you know, I thought we was going to come with a little bit more fire. But I understand it's a long season and, and, and things happen. The, the, I loved watching Washington when they played the game that well, though. Do, do you, I, mean, I mean, you can root for whoever you want to root for, but you're a basketball fan. I thought it was really fun to watch. Uh, and it, to me, it, it, it speaks to the NBA and how good it is. There's a team that, uh, relatively speaking, is a bad team, and man, are they good. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got Porzingis, you got, you know, Ishmael Smith, who's just been like, you know, guy who's just survived in the league. But, you know, it's the 400 best players. And if you don't come to play any night, you know, the guys can really fill it up. The the women's final four ran into yet as well. Uh, how'd you like it? What was it like for, from where you sat? Oh, it was awesome, man. We were so honored to be able to see our girl Paige. Yep. You know, we all missed her in 2020 when COVID took away the chance for her to get a state championship. So I think all of Minnesota was super excited, though she felt a little bit short. We were all there to just show our support for her. And big shout out to Don Staley. She's just a hell of a coach, man. What do you think of her? She 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 brings it. She tells you what she's going to do, and then they do it. <laughs> I love it. You know, that is, for, for women's sports and, and just uh, just coaching, she's truly a trailblazer with the, the first African-American coach to win multiple national championships. She is just uh, a true beacon of hope and, and a leader in trailblazing in, in women's sports. P.J., uh, Minneapolis, uh, you have been in the middle of it since the beginning of it, since before George Floyd and all those things. You grew up here. Uh, your dad's done business here for a lot of years. You understand the city of Minneapolis and, and, and what it was, what it's been through, maybe what it could be. Uh, what do you think right now as you sit? And we sit here and kind of, uh, the, the, the part of us is in a, in a state of frustration because we're not quite sure what's going to happen next. From where you sit, let's start with the positives. What are the best things going on that you see right now in Minneapolis? I think positive. Um, you know, the mayor has finished some of his uh, three of his, a couple of his groups that he started the governance group. I chaired uh, the economic recovery yeah. and development group or group. It was great. 
I think the synergies that came out of the great organizations and the leaders who who came together to sit at this table to really try to blaze a new path forward for uh, the city of Minneapolis and just really put a focus on, you know, communities that have, um, you know, historically been left out of this recovery and making sure that they feel that economic push as we all do. So we don't, you know, look back five or 10 years from now and say, ah, we, we missed out on a great opportunity. So that's a bright spot. Being able to work with people like Lewis King, Bill English, Peter McLaughlin from List, Alfredo Martel from, from Mita. It was a great group of people, and we really got in there and moved the ball forward, came with some great strategies so the mayor can be able to implement, you know, have short-term success and then some long-term things that can really move the ball and change the narrative for many of these communities. So what is the opportunity that they have to make sure that they don't miss right now? Where is it? What is it? I think what, what we have to make sure we don't miss is uh, getting all the way down and making sure that the people feel it. You know, we come with some of these such big strategies and we're always thinking really big for the whole city. But we got to remember that it's the people who make up these neighborhoods, who make up these communities. So we have to make sure that they feel themselves and see themselves in a part of all of this work that we're doing and that they feel that the changes are being made. Um, I mean, the, the, the necessary changes are being made and they feel that and they feel a part and involved. And I think that's where we need the mayor's leadership. We need leadership, um, you know, from just multiple organizations. Like I'm the vice president of the NAACP. Our president, Ms. Cynthia Wilson, has been, you know, encouraging people right there on the front lines, but just communicating authentically to the people so they feel it. All right, let's just take, for example, Broadway over on North Minneapolis, and you say, okay, we we need to change maybe the uh, the feel of it a little bit. How could you encourage? What could be done so that people wanted to to uh, open small businesses there and be entrepreneurs there and and, and give it a new vibe? Uh, that, that's a great question. I think uh, you know from a, from a government standpoint, how do you invest in those community? community strategically, but also have the ownership of that community reflect that community's makeup. And so you have programs like the Commercial Redevelopment Fund, which will give minority developers uh, one-third of the funding to any project endeavor that they do within real estate. So now as a, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, I can try to now own uh, the property that my business is housed out of. And I think that ownership starts to bring a sense of pride and it starts to change the narrative for these communities. Ownership is what really helps you build wealth. And if we're talking about building wealth and closing these gaps, that's the number one thing. Investing in these young entrepreneurs, investing in these communities so they can own the community. PJ, so, so let's just say some of that gets set up and in place. How do you know who's going to be a successful entrepreneur? You don't want people that are just saying, hey, I think I'll give this a shot. I'll dip my toe in the water. you got to go all in to be a successful small business owner, particularly if you're starting from scratch and don't have a plan B. How, how, do, we, how do you create an environment so that you get the best and the brightest to invest in it, to be the people out there on the front lines so that the, that the uh, percentage of success goes up greatly? Great question. Awesome question. I think you do that 
uh, a number of ways. One way is by having strategic partnerships and having organizations who have specialties in, you know, building entrepreneur uh, capacity building, um, giving them the financial acclimate that they need, um, partnering with organizations like NDC, uh, Renea NDC, the Neighborhood Development Center, who does this a lot, partnering with uh, Mita, Alfredo at Mita, to be able to give these entrepreneurs the support and the capacity that they need. Because a lot of times, I own, um, between my partner and I, Dan Coleman, we own several commercial spaces, and we see that the gaps is really small. We're talking fifteen, twenty thousand dollars that these entrepreneurs don't make it. A lot of times they have great skills of being able to cook or anything like that, but they miss the business acclimate part. So how do we fill that gap strategically with different organizations? And we all kind of play our part in shepherding them along so that they can make it. If you're going to look at Minneapolis right now, and let's just say that you're going to open, for sake of argument, uh, uh, a good strong sandwich shop with, with, with a, a branch of it that has good coffee. What part of Minneapolis would you go to and why? That is a great question. I mean, there's so many amazing corridors uh, along the city. I mean, you look at what, what Houston White has done with Get Down Coffee right over there off of Weber Park. That's a great corridor. He has the North Market. He has his barbershop, which is a great business. Um, it's backed by the library. It's right off there up the parkway. And then you put a great local business in there where people can come and have that Starbucks feel, but also a community feel. So getting in different corridors like that. You know, a lot of my work has been done on 38th of Chicago, you know. Yep. Um, but obviously that that's a little bit longer cycle just because of the events that happen there. But there's a lot of great corridors. Lake Street has been awesome. You know, me, I'm a, I'm a South Sider by heart. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Lake Street is somewhere where I have a lot of passion around and doing things on those corridors, Chicago corridor. You know, PJ, I was out the other day, um, not far from Hiawatha Prep, you know that high school, uh, yep. and not far from where the, the third precinct and the target that was ravaged. And, and, and I find a little, I'm looking for a cup of coffee and I find one and I, and I walk in and it's, um, it, it's all Somalians and me. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and, and so I get my cup of coffee and, and I have to, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I have an unfair advantage in that they recognize me from TV. Right. So mm-hmm. we start to talk pretty soon. We're joking. We're laughing this and that. But what I what what I think as we go forward is part of the missing piece here is I'm thinking anybody could come in here and joke and laugh and interact uh, of different racial backgrounds with each other. But until we start doing it with each other, uh, I mean, because we were just having fun. We were we were making fun of each other. We were laughing all the things that you do when you're in a social group and, and, and you're just letting loose. I, I worry about that because I know it's possible for the different races to interact. And I worry about our neighborhoods getting so segregated in Minneapolis in particular mm-hmm. that, that one doesn't penetrate the other and you don't go there if you're not this in background. And yet there's this unbelievable opportunity. You know better than anybody. You sit down pretty soon, you're laughing, and it doesn't matter the color of the skin. How, how do we get that integration? But, you know, that's an awesome question. And I don't think I have the, the exact answer. But but what I can say, though, to that is you need a lot of people who are not afraid to be a bridge. And I'm one of those people, one of many people who can live in the community, 
but can relate to so many. Like I grew up on 26 and Cedar. So I spent a lot of my time growing up in Little Earth. Yeah, for people that are familiar, Little Earth is a Native American uh, school uh, area in there, but it's also a Native American neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, having those diverse upbringings, I think, you know, it just broadened my horizons. And I think what we all need to understand is, though we all have different stories, we share common hopes. And these common themes and threads between all people are things like this. Everybody wants to be able to just provide for their family. They want to be able to raise their family in a safe environment. But everybody wants to leave their communities and their neighborhoods, their families, a better place than they found it. So I think starting with those common things between all of us can help us, you know, find that common ground between us. And then, you know, that we're all people. We're all people. And if you come and you recognize that and you have an authentic heart, I think you can survive anywhere. And then that's how we start to integrate a lot of these neighborhoods. But some of it is just, I mean, we all have to take that first step, right? And and, and I learned yeah. that, you know, I learned that through the George Floyd and, and everything else. Not that I wasn't involved in the inner city, uh, but you have to be willing. And this isn't a government thing. This isn't a money thing. This isn't a, any, this is you being willing to shake the hand of somebody and, and engage them in conversation, somebody that doesn't look like you. Man, you're 100% right. You know what you are? Mike, you, you know, you got a unique uh, skill set with people that you're not afraid to get out there and just be yourself. And knowing that you may have a different upbringing, you may be in a different social economic class, but that doesn't matter when you're a human and you talk about respecting people and you talk about standing side by side and, and, and um, acknowledging somebody's struggle. That's what you did for all of us when we were standing up to a system that we felt was treating so many people unjust. And that's why I have so much respect for you. And every time you ask me for something to come on the radio for anything, I'm always there because I respect people who see past all of that and willing to take the first step. And that's what we need more people to do. I, I think a big part of it, PJ, I appreciate the kind words, but a big part of it is just admitting that you don't have the answers, right? But you're willing to listen. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're 100% this is what, right. The people in the suburbs and people from us, I said, all you got to do is listen. You don't, you don't have to worry about saying the right thing. Just talk and listen, and, and it, you'll be amazed at what you learn. And I, I know I'm oversimplifying something. Do you see some hope for that because of this? Oh, of course, of course. I, I see that. You know, one thing I know that, that happened uh out of the wake of the unrest and everything that happened is a lot more people. America really had to face itself, but I think a lot of people started to say enough is enough. And how do we make the changes that we want to see in our communities, in our neighborhoods, starting with their families, knowing that we all have blind spots and how do we address that? Last question, PJ. The the teacher strike took a toll. So did COVID. How much do you worry uh, about the city of Minneapolis and the education gap? Oh man, that is one of my biggest worries. You know, I have siblings in the Minneapolis school system. My daughter is in the Minneapolis school system. I fear that um, it's going to get our kids behind. Man, COVID was really tough. You know, my wife is. Uh, 
admin, a principal. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been very well educated. We both have college educations, but it's still hard for us to be able to teach our daughter to be independent, to be able to watch her while she's out of school for a whole month. So I, I feel for all the kids. That's why I advocate every day for our teachers, for our educational system, because we have to pour into the next generation. Otherwise, we just perpetuate the gaps that were created already. Yeah, I know. And there's a lot scary out there, but I can tell you one thing. At least at least, some of us, maybe not all of us, are talking about it, right? Yeah, that, I mean, that's it. What I want people to do, man, is think of themselves as change agents and start with themselves. I and here's what I mean by a change agent. Like, um, if you get, use the example of uh, a thermostat, a thermostat, it's not only able to measure the temperature in the wing room, but it's able to change it. Different than a thermometer that's only able to measure it. So you be a thermostat, be able to change that social climate in a room and be a change agent. Absolutely. And, and, and you can be. you got to empower yourself to be. Yeah. But don't say to me one more time, Oh boy, we need to get this thing figured out. Yeah, we do, but that means we. That means all of us, right? I mean, we all got to take a, a step. Just, it can't just be. Yeah. Okay, call the governor, tell him to figure this out. It, it isn't like that, but we can do it. Hey, PJ, we could go all night about this. We will a different time, but always enjoy seeing you. And thank you so Such much for pleasure. joining us and giving us some perspective. Thank you, Mike. Have a great night. You too, PJ Hill on Sports to the Max and News Talk eight three zero WCCO. Welcome back, Sports to the Max. Here's your assignment, class. Reach out to someone who has looks different than you in the next week. Don't tell them that you're reaching out to them because you got the assignment from me. Do it because you just want to engage them in conversation. And then once you get them conversing with you, ask them questions about their background, where they grew up, and eventually maybe, depending on how it goes, what they believe, how they see the world. And if you're black, do it to a white person. If you're white, do it to an African-American person or a Native American or a fill-in-the-blank. If you need a place to go, go over to one of the cafes on Lake Street. Just sit there, order your food, talk. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how much you have in common with people that you don't think you have something in common with. Never ceases to amaze me. Um, I mentioned going to that cafe the other night. And it was, uh, everybody in there, I think, was Somalian except me. And uh, like I said, this is a little bit skewed because uh, they recognize me from the news. And uh, and so it, you, you do have a door open there that I understand not everybody has, but I think a lot of people could have done what I did. And, and then you start talking to them about the news, and, and I start teasing them about how they should watch it every night, and they start coming back at me, and then we're laughing, and we're, uh, we're arguing whether or not this is a good cup of coffee. I'm ordering the coffee. I'm waiting for them to make it. I said, boy, this better be worth it if, it's that, if it costs that much money. And then they say, you're not a kidding. And pretty soon, you walk out of there in five minutes, you just feel refreshed and alive and hopeful and optimistic. And the, 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 the real takeaway to me is, man, there are these there's a bunch of guys sitting in there talking laughing just like we do anywhere in Gaylord in Eden Prairie wherever it is sitting around talking having a cup of coffee kidding each other all those things making jokes and um when you see that it inspires you and it and, and, and it makes you realize the differences between all of us are pretty minute 
when we come back, along those lines, uh, this pickleball game, I don't know how many of you are playing it, uh, but it's, it's, it's becoming more than a fad. And one of the great things about it is it's a very simple, easy game to play, and it's cost-effective. It doesn't cost much to play pickleball. And so there's a group that is uh, taking that to the inner city because they go, hey, our kids, they don't need money. This is kind of like playing wiffle ball, right? You can get a plastic bat and ball and go in the backyard and have fun. It's kind of the same deal, only you're hitting the ball back and forth, but it doesn't cost much to do it. So what can that do? when used correctly to help further society. We'll visit with a man who's doing just that when we come back. Welcome back to the Big Show Sports. The Max Henry Lake coming up after this. He'll break down the Timberwolves and much more. Tough outing for the Wolves last night at Target Center. I saw Hank there. He'll add some more to it tonight in his summation on Lake at Night. Joining me now, Tim Laurent. He is, uh, they call my pickleballcoach.com, but he's a pickleball guy. And this this whole thing has taken off. And I visited him yesterday in South Minneapolis and Let's see, that would have been St. Paul. And one of the things they're trying to do with pickleball is introduce it to the inner city. It's already hit the suburbs, the health clubs, lifetimes all over it. They've converted one uh, club into just a pickleball facility over there off of uh, Normandale. And, um, and and now they say, well, th- this is a simple sport. Let, let, let's bring it to the gymnasiums and, and the courts in, in Minneapolis and St. Paul as well. And let's give kids another something, another avenue, another thing to do that they might enjoy competing, having fun, keep them off their phones, all those things that we talk about in terms of a healthy lifestyle. He joins us in the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Tim, thank you for joining us. Hey, how's it going, Mike? Good. Explain it. You've been with pickleball before most of us knew what pickleball is. Explain why it's become popular. Well, you know, it's I, I, what I really believe, Mike, is just that it, it is such a social. I mean, the bottom line is it's really fun. I mean, let's face it. Uh, no matter what it is, if we're not having fun, who cares, right? Yeah. But it's a very social game as well. So, you know, you're talking about in 15 minutes you learn the game. It takes a lifetime to master it. And that, there's something to be said for that, right? I mean, we can all uh, go out there. And a lot of other sports, Mike, we have to have uh, – Meet people there. Let's just say we're playing a game of golf. We meet other three other people there. We go out there and, you know, hit around for five, six hours or whatever. In pickleball, you can go anywhere in the country, throw this little paddle in, the, in a rack, and play against people you've never met or play against people that you know. And I know a lot of my, lot of my best friends now are lifelong friends from just playing this game. Um, it's it's fantastic. I love it. Is part of the key that anybody can play it? In other words, this isn't fast pitch baseball where you got to learn how to hit a curveball. This isn't basketball where you got to be able to run and jump. It all helps if you can. Uh, but the nature of the game lends it to there's a spot for everyone. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, we're looking at uh, just to give you an idea. So I, I do uh, head up the junior Olympic team here at the, uh, with the AAU, and uh, we have six-year-olds that we're teaching this game with, right? But, you know, you have to be 10 to be a part of that program. But I also played with a guy out in Oregon that his name is George Kent, and he's 99 and a half. Um, wow. not, a lot, not a lot of people of that age. He walked to the courts and said, George, how'd you do today? He goes, you know, not quite as good as I would have liked. And we're like, we're so jealous. You walk here, the, 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 uh, literally the park is named after him, George Kent Park. But, um, you know, so obviously that's too extreme, hmm. but... It is. It has become a sport bike where it is so inclusive of all ages, and it's a chess match. It is not. It is like you said. This is not fast. This is like trying to figure out the the next chess piece of what to do with the with the ball and the paddle. It's it's awesome. 
Now, then it makes all the sense in the world, but you're now moving this into the inner city. Uh, a simple game that doesn't require a lot where kids can have fun, play it, uh, and, and uh, you know, all you got to do is find a couple of friends. Uh, tell me about this movement. How are you going about it? What's the goal? Yeah, I mean, what, what we really see is that this is, a, this is a sport that we could literally bring everywhere. I mean, COVID really was what really lit it up. I think people are surprised to find out the sport's 57 years old. Um, it was 1965 that it was literally invented. And yet people uh, during COVID finally had something they could go out and get outside and enjoy. And now I, I do a lot of uh, uh, three generations uh, of families where I'm teaching them how to play pickleball over here in Northeast Minneapolis at Lucky Shots. And, you know, grandma's got the best serve. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> the, the way, the way the rules are set. Sounds like that, a country Western song, but yeah. Yeah. See, there you go. Well, they call their Nana. There you go. Yeah. But, um, but the bottom line is now the youngsters are getting involved and they're like, Oh my gosh, this is so much fun. And they're having a blast. And, uh, it's a, because the way the rules are set up, Mike, it is a very equalizing game. Um, you'll be surprised who, don't, don't judge a book by its cover in this one. That's for sure. You'll have no, people will surprise you with who can beat you. How do you motivate the kids from the inner city to, to want to get involved and to make it a hobby? Yeah, you know, I guess really what the bottom line is, is get get a paddle and a ball in their hands um, and let them let them just enjoy the uh, let them enjoy the sport and once they're playing around with it, it it's a highly addictive sport. So. You know, like you were mentioning uh, in a little bit uh, in the forefront of this, is that you know every every church, every school. I mean, we had cul-de-sacs where people put a little net out, and you know you could hit this ball around. And it once you get started playing, the games are only fifteen minutes, Mike, for the most part, unless you get into a high-level match. And fifteen minutes later, you have new friends, new you know new partners, and you know that's what uh, that's the enjoyable part. And the kids. I mean, the kids I'm playing with, they they just love it. And, does, it uh, does it matter what age you introduce it to them? I mean, is there a, you know? I mean, do you have to be careful not to try to bring it to them too young because they'll get impatient, or it doesn't it matter? Well, I mean, I think I think it always does matter. I mean, typically speaking, uh, you know, when we do the AAU sports, we're looking okay, right around that ten year old uh, age group, and we have some programs that are actually involved in getting kids off of their uh, off of their screens and onto onto the courts. Um, but, uh, you know, if the older brother, of course, is 10, well, the younger brother, eight, is going to outdo him, of course, you know, being I have an older brother, I know how that feels. But, uh, you know, but really, you know, you start to see, you know, 12, 13, 15-year-olds. The top, by the way, um, Annalie Waters is the top uh, ladies pro in the country, and she's 15. So, guess what? There's some opportunities out there. There's lots of opportunities out there. Tim, I appreciate it very much. We're going to do a piece on it on TV on Friday. Uh, but keep bringing it to the city because, uh, you know, uh, at a time when the city needs everything, uh, I think this could really be uh, something that would be simple, easy, uh, and healthy for the kids. No doubt about it, Mike. And I, um, I know that they've done, literally have done some studies on this. It is considered the healthiest sport addiction out there. So, uh I can't wait to get you uh, involved on the court. Of course, we've already talked about that, so look out for that one, Mike. I'm waiting to hear back from you, Kay. (laughs) I'm on it. I'm on it, all right? Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Tim Lauren uh, from uh, mypickleballcoach.com. He teaches how to play pickleball. That's the bottom line. Uh, When we come back, what's the over-under on how many games Twins will win this year? I don't know, but I'll ask Tubbsy. Stay with us. 
Welcome back, Sports to the Max. News Talk 830-WCCO, your home to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Tomorrow night they play, and the Minnesota Twins. Friday afternoon they play. 310, first pitch. I back that up, 230 pregame. Right here on WCCO. Corey and Dan with the calls. You, you, you know the drill by now. Tubbsy, I was out of practice today. And I didn't think they were going to practice. I went to the press conferences, and I thought, well, they'll just hit inside in the tunnel. And Rock said, no, no, we're going out. We're going to practice. And you go, oh, come on, it's too cold, coach. And, and and you get out there, and you go, it is cold, but I can see why they want to be out here. It's a beautiful green grass that Larry DeVito's got there. And there's something that just that energizes the body and the soul when you get out on a baseball field, <laughs> and you got cleats on, and, and, and you're throwing the ball around. And even in the cold, uh, these these kids these adults become kids and it just uh, uh, it was good for them. Plus, you can control how long you're out there, so it's not like you get a freeze or you know be out there for a long inning or anything like that. But it was it, it was fun to see, and I picked up on that energy as well. Now, that being said, Tubbsy, mm-hmm. uh, the Minnesota Twins come into this season with a. Um, Questionable pitching staff. I think we all agree with that. Uh, the starting rotation isn't what they would like it to be. They didn't get enough deals done to really fortify it. Uh, a pretty good hitting team, it looks like. Defensively should be pretty good as well, at minimum. How does Tubbsy see this season in terms of over-under for wins? I think I think you could look at about a 500 team. I mean, realistically, uh, I don't think you know you got a team that won, what, 73 games last year. Yeah. You know, the the thing about the Twins is I, I will say that there were a lot of things that went wrong for them last year. I mean, so many injuries. I mean, there were times where, you know, like, you know, Luis Arise went down, Byron Buxton would go down the day after, like Jorge Polanco would go down two days later, and you're like, I mean, it, it, and no disrespect to Rob Refsnyder, who had a nice little run at Kyle Garlick. Ref, man, I forgot. Those yeah, names come yeah. up and you go, yeah, I forgot. Like today, he was talking about uh, catchers that they've used since he's been there, and he's talking about Alex Avila and you know, Garver, obviously. And yeah. Going, oh, yeah, I forgot about some of these names. Yeah, and I, I just think they they didn't play well. I mean, they didn't run the bases well. and you know, they, they didn't do a lot of things well last year. But I think that combined with the injuries, I mean, the way that they lost opening day in Milwaukee uh, and Alex Colome blowing that save to me, I figure that that just set the See, tone. Colum, I mean, forget all this stuff. You know? See, I, all I'm of a sudden you're saying, oh, yeah, that's right. They opened uh, it at Milwaukee at the stadium there, and it looked good, and then all of a sudden it went askew. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and, I mean, going into last year, I can completely understand where – you look at the guys that you have, and you're like, okay, you know, Hansel Robles and Alex Colome, yeah. you know, former All-Stars come in, fortify yep. that bullpen. I figured they were going to be okay. I, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that they can get themselves into the wild card hunt. And, I mean, it's, it, it, it's all based on Byron Buxton and Carlos Correa being healthy. And, yeah. you know, um, I'll Joe- take it a step further, though. Okay. Kirilov staying healthy. Yeah. Because I think he's going to hit. Yeah. And, and Max Kepler... We really don't know what Max Kepler, not his ceiling is. We've seen his ceiling, I think, a mm-hmm. couple of years ago. But we don't know what you can really expect from him now that he's been through the league a few times. Yeah, and, and the interesting thing, because you're talking about deals, Maxie, um, yeah, according to uh, Ken Rosenthal, tonight the, the Twins have been discussing a deal with the Padres for Chris Paddock. Really? Yeah, because they, you know, the, the Twins wanted, um, you know, uh, Shamanea or Frankie Montes yeah. from Oakland. Yep. I, I don't know what the asking price for Montes is. I don't know if this is going. I don't know if this means that the Twins were unable or unwilling to give whatever it is that they want. Um, but it sounds like the Padres say that okay, well, anything that you 
send to us, it, it's got to uh, involve Taylor Rogers. So I, I don't know what the other things are. I'm just kind of piecing it together based on what I'm seeing. But yeah, it was a report from uh, John Heyman. Okay, so let's just say, Tubbsy, for the sake okay, of I mean, just, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's fun, but let's, let's just say, put, put your GM hat on, whatever it is. Okay. Um, Taylor Rogers is a foundation piece of the team when you're winning, right? Mm-hmm. Because you need somebody in the back end and you need a guy that lights out. He can do that. Yeah. But. That being said, if he's part of it, if you can get a really good starting pitcher, would you value the starting pitcher over Rodgers and figure that you can find somebody that can shore up the bullpen because those are guys that are easier to find, or is that too risky? To me, it's it's just too risky at this point because you don't have – I mean, maybe Joe Smith, who's been in the league for like 17 years, but outside of that – who do you have in the back end of that bullpen that they you gave feel? up on Fernando Rodney? They don't have him anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, what do you move Tyler Duffy into yeah, that I closer don't think role? He's a closer, I think he's an eighth inning. Guy. Yeah, it, so I mean, that's that's where it is. It's like you you can't go bullpen by committee. We've seen yeah. that just does not work. And, and it I, sounds good until you try to implement. it. Yeah, it, exactly. It's it's like the whole opener thing, right? And yeah. I think Rocco it's, it actually all started good. it because we used to say it for years. You in go, theory, God, this guy throws so hard. Why not? You know, let him pitch two the first two innings, and, <laughs> yeah. and and once and sometimes you get away with it. Yeah. But in general, it's more difficult. Yeah, th- this is not MLB the show where you know you you can have <laughs> your your ninth inning. You're, you're, this is not the Benjamin yeah. Button of of pitching strategies. You know, you're yeah. not going from from back to front. So. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, you've got a gluttony of outfielders. Um, you know, I don't know. You'd need more than Chris Paddock. You know, I don't know. Would Trevor Larnick or Max Kepler, would one of those guys, you know, be in the deal? Because outside of like Alex Kirloff or Royce Lewis, I mean, prospects are such a crapshoot. You know, I think Larnick they'd move because, you know, I mean, obviously, not that he's been, he hasn't been bad, but. This year, he should have made this team if he was really trending, you know? Yeah, and it sounds like he was... Especially with their need for a DH. Yeah, and it sounds like he was pulled from the Saints lineup tonight because they're in Louisville. Okay. So I don't know if there's any connection. I, I have no idea if if these are even remotely connected. Yeah. Um. But, I mean, you do have corner outfield depth. You have other pieces I feel like you could move. And, and maybe I'm overvaluing... A starting pitcher for a an all star reliever, maybe I'm maybe I'm overvaluing it, but I just feel like you can't leave that void in the back of your bullpen because when you get somebody like that, it's it's a luxury for a manager to know. Okay, well, if we get you know to the eighth inning, we get to the ninth inning, we've got somebody that we know we're confident in that is has got a proven track record that can close things out. And then you get into that whole, okay, if you've got a guy like Taylor Rogers, the real key is understanding the situation in the game. And you go, you know what? Uh, they got three lefties coming up in the sixth, mm-hmm. and we're ahead three to two. This is the inning that we got to shut them down, so we'll use Rogers now. It's a game that's tough to play, but 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 that that's kind of how you have to look at him as a chess piece. Yeah, and I mean, I don't. I don't know. Would you use him in that situation, or is that more of a, a I'm just saying Caleb Thielbar? That's, Thielbar that's in that the way area. that yeah. it's. Well, yeah, you'd say Thielbar, but, but I mean, I'm saying they no You know, that's the way they now identify a player, right? Mm. It's not just he's he's the ninth inning closer. It might be, huh? Why yeah. why don't I send my best? This is the most important inning of the mm-hmm. game. Why don't I send my best pitcher out there right now? Yeah, and if if he is not in that bullpen, who is your best relief pitcher? Yeah, right now. I mean, right now. I was looking at that today. Uh, you know, obviously they got Theobar's lefty. They got mm-hmm. Duffy with experience, and you know, I mean, yeah. 
And, 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 and I mean, considering... I'll, and, I'll tell you who I thought would be really good by now, who really hasn't panned out, is uh, Lewis Thorpe. Yeah, did he, I, I, I thought I he don't even. Fair. He didn't even make the team, did he? I don't think so. I don't. Th- they, I don't. I don't think he broke camp right now, so I'm not sure. Yeah, and yeah, the, the the funny thing they too. They're 16 pitchers to start, so he might be there. Yeah. And, and the funny thing too, Maxie, when you're talking about the Twins and you know really having confidence in that bullpen and you know not wanting to get rid of a guy like Taylor Rogers, one of the things that just frustrated me to no end when I moved back up here and I watched the Twins on a regular basis was just the fact that you get to the fifth inning and all of a sudden it's like warning, warning, warning. It's like the check engine light coming on. It's like, oh, all of a sudden, oh, 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 our pitcher might be overheating. Oh, we have to. Actually, he's not. The ride's going smooth, but the check engine light came on. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. It's like sometimes the check engine light, you let it go, right? You put a piece of tape over it and you ignore it and you just let it go. Turn the radio up and you won't hear the noise. Exactly. So. I don't know. I mean, unless you're... And this isn't the only market that would have that same no, observation. And, and, and I mean, again, I'm not sitting here trying to you know pick on Wes Johnson or Rocco or anything like that. But if your starters are only going to go five to six innings maybe and you're going to put a lot of emphasis and a lot of you know pressure on your bullpen and they're going to throw a lot of innings, I just can't see how you can part with somebody like Taylor Rogers. I would agree. I would concur with you, and not to say that they're necessary. You know, and, and maybe they won't. You know, maybe yeah, that's and, said, and maybe, again, I mean, maybe San you know, Diego says you got to have Rogers. They go, okay, find somebody else, or forget that we're done talking. You know, yeah. And again, I mean, this is a report from John Heyman that came out, so it's coming out from somebody that's credible. Yeah. But but again, I mean, who knows what the final price? If it's even, even if if, if it's something that even comes to fruition, I mean, you know, we don't know. Chris Archer, they kept back. They, he's throwing. Next day in the backfield, he's going to be the fifth starter. Mm-hmm. You think what? Uh, you know, t- to me, it's a, a, a low risk, high reward. Yeah, you know, they seem to like the way he threw the ball the other day, but his, his stats weren't good. And, and I mean, I'm not concerned about the stats. Let's you know, let's let's see what he looks like. He said in he was another... hitting 95 and locating. So. I, I, I'm okay. You know, I'm okay with 95 and locating. You know, numbers. You know, numbers don't mean anything right now. Gets me fired up, though, when we have these conversations. Let's go, it's kind of fun, isn't it? 162-0. and 0. All right, Tubbsy, we'll do it again as soon as we can. Always appreciate you, my friend. We'll be planning a parade when we do. You got it. The Lake Man is next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.